0: MindSpark Podcast, your podcast to inspire change. My guest today is Tiankai Feng. Tiankai has worked in data roles his entire career so far and recently started his job as a Senior Director for Product Data Governance at Adidas or Adidas for the international ones. He is passionate about the human part of data and analytics, either if the data is explaining consumer motivations and behavior or the collaboration between analysts and stakeholders or driving change through data literacy within a group of people. Tiankai is also well known for expressing his creativity as musician and songwriter on LinkedIn and also beyond. Welcome Tiankai. Thank
1: you very much. It's a great honor to be here. Um, I mean, Chiara, you and I, we know each other already for years, I think, and I think we've always had good conversations about this topic already, but I'm very happy that we can now talk about it and reach a wider audience, and I hope this podcast goes well, and a lot of people will listen to it.
0: Thank you. I'm very much looking forward to the insights you will share with us, and like Mm -hmm. you've already mentioned, we have been colleagues before let's call it colleagues not in the same team but that's also how i noticed you and your leadership because you have a very peculiar and also unique and kind way of influencing and having or so to say your empathetic leadership style and that's something that we want to explore even further today Mm -hmm. like i said you have the talent to influence in a very positive way can you tell us a bit more about your leadership style how you see it Because this is the way I observe you and also how you developed it.
1: Absolutely. I think maybe one one fact about me is that since I was already very little, I always enjoyed helping people. So intrinsically, Mm -hmm. I always had the motivation to just uh, be helpful to people. um, And that led to me becoming a good listener, as well as people asking me often for advice. And I kind of kept that also to my professional path because I see myself more as a coach, so to say. So rather than saying that I manage everybody and people do what I tell them, I usually let them basically find their own path and their objectives. And uh, basically that means they can work on things they want to work on, leading to an uh, automatic motivation or intrinsic motivation. And I'll help them guide to reach that goal in the best way possible. And um, that also means that sometimes it's um, necessary to fail because not all of the ideas and all things you work on necessarily have an impact. And um, I always am a fan of saying that I need to lead by example. So I need to show people that failure is okay. that also not all of the ideas work out and that I just don't give up. And um, saying that is easy, but doing that is hard, right? So I try to show that to my team as well. And I talk very openly about failures that I might have occurred or that I might have done and what I learned from it. And I feel like that has a good impact on people because it creates like a certain safety of failure and uh, more of a a trying out things culture as well. And lastly, it's all about feedback for me as well. I think it's, it's all about really being open and honest feedback. And, and some people talk about candid feedback. I'm not that big of a fan of that word because I feel candid can be really hurtful if you don't do it in the right way. Good I'd rather point. call it constructive feedback because the idea is to not just say that people are bad, but to give them some advice on how to do it better and not to say the bad things, but you know what can be better. So those three things, you know, coaching, leading by example, and um, feedback um, are for me, I think, the key principles in, in my leadership style. Um, that I try to influence um, my team with and that I'm living every day.
0: Awesome. I also heard active listening and mm-hmm. I did see you as a person who walks the talk. So, very, very well done. I can see from your team environment that it's definitely a successful way of leading. Thank you. Are you done? <laughs> yes. Are you done constantly practicing it? You said you try to lead by example and role model behaviors. And mm-hmm. that's actually the way to go because you can't expect your team to live behaviors that you're not role modeling to them
1: absolutely so how does
0: your practice look like
1: yeah i think i mean it's the key is that i cannot create these situations myself usually they anyway appear and you just have to identify them right so in the day-to-day business either you kind of basically stick to the routine and you never try anything new and then you just get into this kind of rhythm and then every day is probably the same, but I don't like that, right? For me, it's all about trying out new things as well. So I just proactively see what new opportunities are there and what kind of new things we can do. A big part of it is also just talking to people and I think creating kind of a network of people because I feel like every person either in the company, your colleague or externally has something to share and everybody has their unique experiences. Right, and talking to them can lead to inspirations. So I would bring in ideas that I saw in a TV series, maybe, or that I heard on a podcast. Why don't we try this now in our team as well? Sometimes we realize mm, that doesn't really doesn't work, or realize, oh, this was a really good idea. Let's build on it. Um, but I just keep on bringing these ideas, right? And as I said, I think admitting then if something didn't go well and just being really honest, well, this was not a great idea, also leads to people being then seeing me as more authentic. I would believe And also leads them to be more honest and trying out things, and um, being able to also uh, sticking to what doesn't work and basically saying and talking about it as a learning.
0: So definitely, I love it. I think it's also a strength that you can say as a leader, "Let's try that. Okay, we didn't like it, or my team didn't like it. I thought it's the best idea. It's okay."
1: (laughs) Exactly. Exactly.
0: Yeah. Definitely. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Do you also, a question that I really have to ask you, because you have been in analytics roles your entire life, but there is also Mm -hmm. a huge human aspect that you're combining, but do you also have a data-driven approach to your personal life? Are you analyzing different KPIs that this scale towards your private life or towards how you interact with the team?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, I would love to say yes, but I really don't, Um, but there's more of a different flavor to it. So, because data driven and KPIs, um, because I'm an analyst, I take it very straight, right? Because KPI have to measurable goals and that means they have to be some numbers to. But life is usually usually pretty messy. It's not like you can really quantify everything, right? Let's talk about emotions, let's talk about just what is going on in your brain that doesn't really work as in to, just to quantify. But um, I would call I have a middle ground, uh, which is called a fact-based approach at least. You know, so because I feel like humanity sometimes even becomes the enemy of people because there's a lot of assumptions going on and thinking that some things might be a certain way, but they actually are not that way. And that's why I keep on reminding myself that if I think somebody did something because of a certain reason, for example, that I remind myself, do I actually know that this is the reason that that person behaved that way? Or this thing happened to me, do I know that this is the reason why it happened to me? And bring my back back to the fact-based approach saying, look, I really don't know why that happened. And either I can find out or I don't, but let's not just jump to conclusions and kind of just make myself upset for it, right? Um, and yeah, a lot about is also people thinking, what if that happens and what if this happens? And a lot of the scenario thinking, I learned that it's really hard to predict things. So just these human thoughts of what if this happens and that happens usually leads to nowhere and causes certain things to be really upsetting people. Um, So yeah, having a more fact-based approach to life um, helped me to calm down a lot and also just to look at things a little bit more relaxed, to be very honest.
0: Yeah, I, I love this analytics hat that you put on how you see life. Because it also helps you to overcome your own biases that you might have because usually what we assume other people are doing is just a reflection of our own experiences and not at all fact driven so i think that's a golden nugget a nugget of wisdom that you shared
1: absolutely I, i mean that's a really good point about bias because the only because bias is based on perception and based on your own priming in your head right and the only thing that can counter is our facts And as long as you keep reminding yourself that you don't know all the facts, you kind of build down your bias at least a little bit and try to stick a little bit to being more inclusive actually in the end. So that's a really good point. Yeah,
0: Yeah. that's why I love to speak to people from different environments that are all into leadership and culture, because there's from your expertise in analytics, there's so many things that you can transfer into this leadership and culture environment. Absolutely. Awesome. Good. Now I have a question for you around your positivity, because I have experienced you as a role model when it comes to being kind, being positive, being a person you want to be around with. Mm-hmm. And during COVID, when a lot of people were struggling, I saw you release your first songs, writing your songs and finding a way, a creative way to deal with with a difficult situation so how do you manage to stay positive in a challenging situation not only like COVID but also when something is unfair at work we already know that you have a bit of a take a step back perspective and trying Mm -hmm. to understand what is what is the reason that something is happening and not what is my perception of it but is there something else that you can share with us
1: Again, I think um, I've been told my whole career before as well that one of my biggest strengths was my positivity. So that was even before we were all hit by a global crisis. But I have to say that the global pandemic actually really threw me into a big challenge to really stay positive even because it wasn't easy for myself. Uh, But I, I kind of turned all of those bad news and all of the negative things that were in our lives into seeing, let's say, the humorous side of it And I didn't know the word for it back then, but I learned that actually just recently, a few months ago, but there's this term called tragic optimism. So the idea is that basically if you think about the opposite, which is toxic positivity, basically, if you ignore Uh all of the bad things in life and say, just forget about it, everything is fine, everything is great, this is toxic positivity, tragic optimism is acknowledging the bad. And then seeing the positive side of, after all, behind what is so bad. And I think this is what I basically did with all the weird mu- music that I did, right? So it's basically the effects of the pandemic being that everybody talks about COVID all the time, that we're all doing home office and say weird sentences during um, our virtual meetings, or that now we have all the children always in our meetings popping up and participating involuntarily for us. And I, <laughs> I observed all of those mundane things I would say that happened to us and just amplified them with my music. And I think because people could really relate to it because we all went through the same topics during that time that this became relatable to them. And the music part helped make it also funny because it was a lot of parodies of famous songs, right? So it was that unexpected mix of something mundane in a musical way based on a familiar melody that I think really, really helped. Um, I would say though, I mean, how how so I basically feel positivity comes to me is that I try to practice positivity too. So positivity okay. means also, for example, to look every morning into my calendar and to decide what I look forward to. So for example, today I woke up and I look forward to our conversation and that kept me going the whole day because at least without all of the bad things or really difficult conversations I have to have. At least there was something good at the end of the day to look forward to.
0: Oh, I love and... to be the positive meeting <laughs> in someone's calendar.
1: <laughs> right? Um, yes. It's true, though. And this is basically what helps because it always helps to have something to look forward to and knowing where your positivity, where you can charge your positivity during the day. And that is um, like a habit I basically created for myself. To stay and, I,
0: yeah. and, and I assume this is also how you overcome difficult situations because you know you have, so to say, like a safety net or a straw you can hold on to, even though exactly everything turns out not the way it's planned.
1: Exactly, exactly. You can always say, at least I still have this and this later on, <laughs> you know. <laughs>
0: That's yeah. kind of the
1: point. exactly
0: Awesome, awesome. I'm happy to be this positive meeting in the calendar. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> Awesome. So let's switch gears a bit, because I would like to have a look at creativity in data jobs. Mm-hmm. I, I never worked as an analyst, but since I know you and the way you you know only also share job descriptions or post something on LinkedIn or how you promote the team and everything that you do or how you promoted it internally, analytics and data started to be really cool. Mm -hmm. So how do you live your creativity in this environment? And I think you also shaped maybe this environment and made it something that is less geeky, but more cool. And I think you also have shown the organization that data is everywhere and that it's more about storytelling and shaping the data in the organization. So can you tell us a bit more about that?
1: Sure, I'm really happy that you say that, because that is that was my main goal, to rebrand data and analytics a little bit. And I think you really brought it to the point, because we have to move away from data being that nerdy, um, basically job of like people sitting in the basements and just uh, working with tables all the time. This is not the case anymore, because- I can analytics- see that you're
0: not sitting in the basement right now. At least i exactly. Yeah. <laughs>
1: No, but also it's about that um, data analysts or scientists, whatever, they all expected to be business experts as well, because they have to understand the business side and the data side both. Um, I think also there is a certain thing that where data people didn't really help the situation because for a certain phase, it felt like data people um, communicated their job as very complicated and that it was very glamorous to be a data scientist and making it extra hard. So it seemed for a lot of people, ooh, data jobs are very, very difficult, very unique. I don't dare to touch it. And that unfortunately led to people being really afraid of data, right? Like just, I'm not gonna touch data because only data scientists and analysts know what to do with it. And now we have to kind of go back a little bit. like, And that's why it's called data literacy, that everybody has to have a basic knowledge of, of data, right? Uh, but also, um, I would call it data storytelling, which is the other side, that the analysts have to be a, do a better job to explain data and to tell a story around it to make it less complicated. So both sides meet in the middle and finally find common ground. Um, I think, though, I mean, when it comes to creativity in data jobs, creativity, I strongly believe, is a skill that everybody has. And it's more about reminding yourself to use it. And most people are just not used to apply it to a data task or a data job because they feel like it's very fact-based and there's not much I can apply there. So I'm just going to do it and do it always the way I know how to do it. But um, as long as you can remind yourself to not be satisfied with the status quo, that there's always ways to innovate and always ways to do, try new things then you will see the opportunities to be creative. And that can mean either changing one line in a code or that can be formatting your table in a different color. Every every task and every step is a way of being more creative, right? And it, creativity is like a muscle too. So the more you start being creative in small steps, the more you get being bolder to apply to bigger things. And in some cases like mine, I just write a whole rap song about analytics. And <laughs> that is just for me, probably the maximum of creativity I can do <laughs> on a data <laughs> job. But it's basically there, right? It's, you just have to want it and you just have to try it out. Um, yeah. And that's why I think creativity can be also part of data jobs.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, from from my perspective, you were the one changing this narrative, like I said, making data and analytics interesting, cool. I don't want to say to, you made data sexy in an organization, but you really sure. were... <laughs> We're actively working towards a common understanding across the organization. So you had to, I assume, put in a lot of effort at the beginning to get started because it requires a shift in mindset. And I think it's the same not only for how you change the narrative of data within Adidas and also in your general environment, but also how you started with your song writing career because it requires some courage to do so so can you tell us a bit more of how you got started and what was driving you and how you kept going
1: yeah I think um, actually showing my musical side at work was a big deal because I knew that for myself being a musician was always a big part of me personally but I didn't show it too much at work and there were a few things that led there and I think most of them came from a a source of frustration, to be very honest. So there were, for example, a few meetings on that were basically about how can we make analytics more visible? How can we make analytics more relatable and accessible for people? And why is it so hard to, to sometimes communicate it in the right way? And why do people misunderstand it? And that led for me to actually write that whole digital analytics anthem, for example, as a rap song. Yeah. And even after I wrote it and recorded it, I still struggled with posting it because I felt like, okay, this comes from a really big place of inspiration. Should I actually post it or not? Um, but in a certain way, it felt like, um, why if I do it and don't do it now, when would I ever do it? And let's just give it a try. Uh, some, some, Somehow it led to me just saying, what is there to lose, right? And a maximum people think this is really bad and who would rap about analytics. But then I give it, gave it a try. Luckily, it worked out and a lot of people liked it. A lot of people felt, the analytics people felt that they can really relate to it. And they finally have something cool to show about that job. And the other side of people, all the non-analysts, felt like they finally get now what, what it is to be an analyst and what the struggles are that we have. And why analytics is actually cool and yeah i mean that led to more right i mean just realizing that certain different ways of communicating data is helpful and uh, can help so for example with colleagues i would launch a video series like a talk show about data as well or nice. we would uh, do like a bigger um, company event where we would do an interactive quiz about data and basically do multiple choice questions with surprising answers and let everybody guess what the right answer is all of that i think helped to break the ice around it um, yeah and th- that just taught me that um, you can be really creative um, and people will be grateful for if you use a different way that is um, just easier accessible for people to to learn about data
0: so basically, just takes someone to do to take the first step, and then others will join in and be actually extremely happy that someone had the courage to share.
1: I think so. Yeah, I mean, and I know not everybody has has the character to be always the first one to do things. It is in my bones, at least, to always be the first one to try it out. But um, as I said, you can try it also with small steps. It doesn't have to be as public as what I did, but you can try yep. it for yourself,
0: right, and just start there. Yeah, and it's amazing what you have achieved over the years. You have created a general understanding in an organization about data and the importance about the storytelling around it. And you're also LinkedIn Top Voice, I heard.
1: It's not Top Voice. I think I have to clarify that for legal reasons, probably. Oh, okay. (laughs) Because I don't have that many followers, but I am a creator that is managed by LinkedIn. Ah, So I do have an official LinkedIn creative manager. And I'm part of of that creators club, so to say, within the LinkedIn German community. Um, And that's really cool. That was a really nice acknowledgement by LinkedIn to see that my content is different than what people usually post and that it's still very business relevant and makes it in a different way. And basically, they they, um, got in touch. And I'm really happy to be part of that exclusive group, so to say.
0: Awesome. Congratulations. And this all came from doing the first step, I think one and a half, two years ago, maybe.
1: Yes. Yes. I mean, basically the second week of March, because I remember that it was the first day of quarantining because of lockdown. So it definitely was middle of March 2020 (laughs) when it all started.
0: Awesome. Awesome. I love how you took all this in and then just got going.
1: Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Nice. Okay, then the human side of business. So you already mentioned, or I already mentioned that you're a great relationship builder. Can you tell us what are the top three things that are important to you in your interactions? You already told us, but maybe there is something else besides the active listening, feedback, and being a coach. What else yeah. can we learn from you?
1: Uh, yeah, great point. I think you. I actually... Active listening was one of the three points, but you already mentioned that. I think that's pretty straightforward. And the other side of it, I would say, is undivided attention. So that means yeah. that while you're interacting with somebody, don't get distracted by your emails or phone calls or WhatsApp messages, whatever, because that really breaks the trust, I say. And it's so easy to get um, basically distracted, right? you see your phone blinking up and your eyes go there and then you just miss a few words, but the other person feels unheard and is a little bit disappointed in that moment. I I learned to really force myself to have undivided attention, put my phone away or I put it in the pocket at least and don't look at it at all. And really hopefully virtual eye contact or at least face-to-face eye contact and try to uh, really undivided attention. Um, The other one is what I would call curiosity because um, you have to realize that um, every interaction with anybody, can have a source of inspiration or innovation for you because everybody has their unique experiences, right? And went through certain things that you never did. And you just have to find that. And I think it can either personally or professionally really bring you forward if you find those really inspirational nuggets from everybody that you talk to and um, ask questions, right? I mean, that's what conversations are for. Don't just see it as a burden to have that conversation sometimes, but try to make it something worth your while and just ask questions that you can learn from. And I learned that I've been always just like asking certain mundane questions until I hear something really interesting. And then I would really deep dive on it a little bit and really just listen to it, like why and certain things. When I mean, it comes from people telling me their hobbies and I'm like, wow, how did you get started in that hobby? And then really go deeper, like, what is the motivation to even start that hobby? And what do you feel about doing it? And these kind of things. Um, it's all useful, right? Because I can relate to what my motivation is behind making music, for example. Yeah,
0: yeah. definitely. I think it also helps you to understand the why of the person. And when we think about modern leadership or in a a VUCA environment, and it's very a strong approach to combine the company's vision with each individual's vision and mission. So I think that's exactly what you're doing there. You try to understand your counterpart, not only to learn but also maybe to connect everything all the pieces better together and it's then a win-win situation not only for the company but also for your team members and for your colleagues
1: exactly and i think once you start asking these questions people then feel also safe to ask you the questions and then it becomes a sharing instead of just like a very transactional interaction right and uh, that makes conversations worthwhile i think and generally relationships worthwhile.
0: Yeah, it's you're creating psychological safety, the foundation for high-performing mm-hmm. teams and a high-performing environment. So well exactly. done, Kai.
1: Thank you. Nice.
0: <laughs> yeah, we spoke about data. We spoke about human and people-centric approach. How does that go hand-in-hand hand for you? And how does it allow you also to drive change?
1: Um, so yeah, I, I think data is... Um, often um, communicated as a hard fact that nobody can dispute. And I agree with that point. But in the end, it's still human beings who work with the data. And, and until we're replaced by robots, until then, we're still human beings working with the data. And that means that it's human beings uh, and human beings have a human side to it as well. So that would mean, for example, when we analyze consumer data, there's actual consumers who generate the data. So we have to understand why they behave in a certain way or why they say certain things and how we can deal with it. As analysts, we are also human beings. And that means that we are not just numbers machines, but we need to know more context. We need to know the purpose behind analysis so we can do our best job. As collaborators and vendors that help with data work, for example, they need also the right context and background information to do their job properly. And lastly, stakeholders are also human beings and they are not necessarily data experts. So, That means you have to also translate it in a relatable and simple way for those people to make the data accessible. And if you think about it, then it's really like a all-round human being circle that all evolves around data. And I think it's everybody's responsibility to just focus on the human side of it more and understand a little bit why certain people acted in a certain way around the data. And that hopefully makes things better. I'm preaching that basically every day at work as well, because um, it's really easy almost to hide behind data, to say, just look at the data, I don't wanna talk about it. And this is everything you need to know is there, but it's not that easy because numbers themselves lead to misinterpretation if you don't talk about it and don't share more context around it. And that goes for all the people around it. So uh, this is why I think the human side of, of data is really important.
0: I like that. Yeah. And data is there and you combine it with storytelling and the human side, which makes it extremely powerful because suddenly it's more than just numbers. It's the big picture. It's the holistic overview of everything that is happening and how stakeholders, customers, and also the people working with data all fit together.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, exactly.
0: Nice. Really nice talking to you, Tiankai. Thank you. Now, oh, thank you. you know, at the end of every episode, I always ask my guests, what can you give us where we can take action? Because I believe change is only lift in a way if you take action. If you think it, it's already a first step to be aware of something, but if you really want to have long lasting change, you also need to walk the talk like you said at the beginning. So therefore I wanted to ask you, what's your greatest piece of advice or learning that you can share? You already gave us a lot of inspiration and good nuggets. Mm -hmm. But is there a a daily practice or something that you do the secret sauce that would help change agents and people or employees become a better version of themselves or also increase their impact? Well, what is it for you that makes the difference?
1: Absolutely. I think also in the preparation a little bit, you, you mentioned quotes as something example. And I realized that. I use a few quotes very often. Uh, those, those are two. Um, so the first one is from Pablo Picasso, actually. He said the chief enemy of creativity is common sense. And that means that whenever you are creative and have an idea, it feels like a bad idea first because it's against your rational self, right? And you're basically your emotional creative self is fighting your rational self. And like, should I actually do it? Is always the first reaction. And But if we wouldn't do it, there wouldn't be any creativity in the world, right? So that's why I would say do it anyway, right? Just stop being creative. Even if it feels like a bad idea, what's the worst that could happen? Try it out and you will know for yourself. And the more you dare to do it, the more you will do it. And some things will work out and sometimes we don't. But at least you were creative, right? I like it. And the other one is actually from Albert Einstein. And he said that if you can't explain it simply, you don't understand it enough yourself. And the point behind that for me is that a lot of people seem to glorify their work and their tasks by describing it as complicated as possible, because it feels like then you did something really important that nobody will understand. But that actually creates a distance between yourself and other people, right? Because if people don't understand what you work on, this is not going to go well for you as a colleague or as a collaborator. So I'm always now a fan, instead of doing it the most complicated possible, try to do it the most simple way possible because you will create you will reduce the distance to people. And once people know what you do and what it is you do and why you can add value to things, they're gonna just come closer to you and they will actually practically see you as a great collaborator who knows how to communicate. And um, yeah, that for me has been really especially in data jobs important because again, it's very easy to hide behind the data and say, look at all the complicated tables I created. And if you would just summarize it in three simple sentences, what you just created there, then maybe that would create a much more impact because people just understand it automatically, what you mean.
0: Yeah, you you drive transparency as well through that. I really like also the last quote. And you made me almost apply for a data job. Uh, oh wow! <laughs> yeah, I know, I'm not sure if you remember, but I think some years ago there was a role, yes. I was like, "Should I? Should I try?" But then I still got a bit scared of data, but <laughs> but it's I, unfair, I, I got, yeah. yeah, I managed to get a closer contact to data and be less afraid. And I think you, through your work, you definitely create a more common understanding across the organization and beyond. And I think it's. So, extremely valuable because you create this transparency, you have people come closer to you, and that's yeah, new time leadership. Because in a VUCA environment, we need an environment where people are aware, people understand, and it's not just the experts. Because if someone is gone, then who will take over? So, Absolutely. I think it's, it's more about enabling everyone to have a common understanding. Because only like this, as an organization or as a team we can reach our full potential. And then maybe also people who are not the experts can share their idea and you as experts can take this as inspiration to create a new product out of it.
1: Yes, absolutely. I think there's also something underlying about the definition of leadership because I think traditionally leadership was mainly defined by the irreplaceability of it all, right? So the things have to break when I'm gone because this is the only way I show how I'm important. But the new way I feel like leadership is to empower everybody, that everybody can work independently if you're there or not. But when you're there, everything is better. And this is, I feel like, the more better way of of leadership, because then at least people connect independently and you're not becoming a liability for the whole thing. And also, when people are around you, they know that you can make things better. And again, you're there for advice and empowerment. And that is a much better way to express leadership.
0: But it's also more sustainable. And I think exactly. it, ties, <laughs> yes. it ties back to your role as a coach in how you inter- interact with team members. Exactly. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing all your insights. I feel very inspired. I want to start taking action and be more brave and show myself more after our conversation. Are yes. there any last words you want to share with the audience?
1: No, I think it's all good. If people maybe want to see a little bit of my creativity, they can go to my LinkedIn profile or my YouTube channel maybe and check a little bit out of my music videos. Um, other than that, I'm also happy for any virtual coffee chats if people want to know more about me or want to discuss any of the topics we just talked about. Um, yeah, and it was a big honor to be here. Again, um, I'm very happy to be part of the great beginning of, of whatever you will create next and all of the great awesome. content you're going to create, Kiara. So yeah, all good.
0: Awesome, thank you so much. Two more questions. So mm-hmm. first of all, it's more like a comment. Do reach out to Tian Kai. He's awesome. I hope your calendar will not explode. <laughs> and Let's the second see. one's like, how, how can I find you on YouTube if I want to search for your music?
1: Uh, this search for Kai Feng, but also recently now there's a link functional on LinkedIn. So apparently you can also visit now my YouTube channel via my LinkedIn profile directly. It's directly under my name. Right
0: now. Awesome. And also in the show notes of the podcast, you will have all the links how you can find Tiankai. And I hope there will be more smiles across various faces who so listen to the podcast and then listen to your songs. Because they really made the quarantine time for I think a lot of people.
1: Great. I love it.
0: MindSpark Podcast, your podcast to inspire change. Don't forget to dream big and have impact. It's a journey. If you like my work, you can leave me a good rating and share this episode with friends and colleagues or whoever would benefit from this MindSpark. And follow MindSpark on Instagram under mindspark.academy. Take care and see you for the next episode.